Whoever felt like it was hard to talk to people, like, like when you were younger, I mean, maybe even now, but like when you were like in, in early, like late middle school, early high school, who, who just, just a show of hands, like it was just hard to talk. Okay, so you're with me on this, you get this. So when I was younger, uh, we had D groups, and D groups was a fancy name back when I was younger for community group. That's kind of what we call it, but every church calls it something different. And so when I was in, I think it was either eighth grade, like, you know, I was almost high school, but I was still in the awkward middle school years, um, we had D groups at my church, um, and we were with our, you know, our youth pastor in his attic. That's where the, uh, the, the middle school boys would meet. And uh, so it was just me and my boys, and we were, were sitting there, and it's still an awkward time of life, as it always is, uh, in that age. And, but at this, at this point, I felt comfortable to share what was going on in my life. And so I, you know how it is. I don't remember now. It's been so long. But it was a girl trouble, as it always is. And so I don't remember the details, but I remember like going through like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'm talking to my guys, and they're all listening. And they're all like listening, and they're, they're, they're hearing every word I say, and I'm just going through it. I, I just remember. I remember it was a long time. So I'm confidently expressing all this, and finally I, I finish my, my dialogue. I finish my little speech, just filling them where I'm in. I'm just where I'm at. I'm just not in a good place. I, I was not happy. I was just telling them all that. There's one kid, Greg, I'm never going to forget this. He leans in like he was going to say something. So I lean in too, get a little closer to just hear him out because I don't know if he's going to talk soft. I don't know if he's going to talk loud. I didn't know what he was going to happen. And then he did something that I will never forget. As he leaned in, he raised his hand and slapped me three times in the face. Like, bat, bat, bat. like and I remember just being like, whoa, like I, I didn't expect it. And I was just kind of like, here I am, like confidently speaking. And this kid just slaps me in the face. I don't even remember what happened after that. I think everyone was shocked that they just stared. Kid slapped me in the face. I don't know. He, I, don't, I don't know why. He never gave me an explanation. So that's why I have to talk about it years later because I need counseling for it. But have you ever heard that 93% of all communication is nonverbal? You ever hear that? maybe like in, in psychology or something like that, this doctor, Dr. Marebian, uh, kind of came up with this belief that 55% of all communication is nonverbal. It's, 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 I'm sorry, 55% of communication is body language. So like me moving around, it's body language. 38% is the tone of voice. So it's, it's how our voices speak. And 7% is the actual words spoken. And the conclusion is that 93% of all communication is just nonverbal in nature. So thinking about this kid, Greg, that I clearly can't let go of, if 50, he used 55% of his ability to communicate to communicate 100% to me that he was not listening because he's slapping the face. And he didn't even have to use words, right? And what I want to talk about here tonight is it's not always what you say, but how you communicate right? I need, a, I need a, some volunteers. So can someone just shout out uh, a positive like, compliment, like something that you would genuinely say to someone? Just, I'm just going to take two. Just, just shout it out. It's fine. <laughs> I heard you smell good and you're cute. You have a good heart. I'm going to use that one. It's so much better. I like your sweater. Okay, we're going to use some of those because, I don't know, I'm not going to walk up to someone and tell them they smell good. That's going to go wrong. Um, Okay, so you walk up to someone and you say, well, I heard you have a good heart. So you walk up to someone and say, hey, you have a good heart. Now, if I said that to you, I hope you would take it, right? 
But here's the thing. If I walked up to you like this, kind of turned my body sideways, give you a look like, you have a good heart, and made a face and walked away, you wouldn't take it. All right. Uh, what was another one? I forgot the other one. You smell, we're not doing that. We're not doing this you smell good one. Yo, the youth group was better with this one I did a couple weeks ago. Come on, you guys, just, just shake it off. You got it. Nice sweater. Nice sweater. That's, I mean, I've been getting that today. Like, and so if I walked up to you and said, hey, Pat, nice sweater, I hope you would take it. But if I walked up to you and like, nice sweater. See, it, 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 you see what I'm talking about? So it's all about how we say it because beyond the words I'm speaking is my body language is my tone of voice. And see, all of this adds up to what is communicated. And this affects you and I every single day. And so the question I want to ask is this, what are you communicating? What are you communicating? When you go throughout your day, when you're with your friends, when you're with your family, what do you communicate with your actions, because we all would realize this, that though we might be saying the right thing sometimes, if we're doing the wrong thing, it, it doesn't really matter. Because actions speak louder than words, right? We've heard that said so many times. And so therefore, it matters how you and I treat people, how you and I respect or honor one another. And see, here's the thing. In today's culture, um, it doesn't really teach us how to pr- play nice. You know what I'm talking about? Because playing nice doesn't really sell. Like in entertainment, like when no one's going to watch a show where two people are holding the door open, like, no, you go first. No, you go first. See, that, that would not be something we would be interested in, right? And, and it seems like that our culture has kind of given us the shift to treat each other badly. Think about uh, the 1950s. Um, if you're watching like a show like Back then, it was like leave it to beaver. Like even the nicest character, I'm sorry, the, the worst character was still somewhat polite. You know what I'm talking about? Like Wally. Like Wally be like, hi, ma'am. Like, hey, Dr. Sheriff, you know, whatever his name is. I don't know. But like even the nicest characters were, I'm, wow, I keep saying that wrong. Even the meanest characters were somewhat polite. And now we have shows like Wild and Out. Does anyone watch that? I, I've never seen it before. I've just seen memes. Um, but Wild and Out, if you're not familiar, is a show, uh, Nick Cannon is leading it, and he used to be part of Nickelodeon Wholesome, and then he, I guess he had to kind of make up for that. And so now he's in a show where people like diss each other, and they, they, they mock each other back and forth, and I, it doesn't seem cool to me, but um, it's, I don't know, it might be funny, might not, like I said, I haven't seen it. But they make it cool to treat each other badly. They make it a sport. And here's the thing about entertainment is that entertainment, sometimes we can say, well, oh, Andrew, entertainment is entertainment to me. But the problem is that sometimes we get entertainment or what we see and what we experience influences how we act. Because entertainment thrives off conflict. And in a sense, so do we. Because we live in in a consumer culture, and so it's very easy for us to kind of just want to be entertained by conflict, but when we are how it influences and affects how we treat one another. And maybe you're saying, Andrew, why do you always rip on culture? And here's the thing, culture's not entirely bad. There's a lot of good things, but I want you to think of a buffet. When you go to a buffet, you know, you can get a whole bunch of vegetables, all right? You can get all the good things, but a lot of times we, we take the bad things, right? And so like, likewise, culture is, somewhere, is something where we, we kind of walk into culture sometimes and we kind of buffet our, our bad habits from culture. 
And so sometimes we need to just stop and we kind of need to think, hey, how am I living my life? What am I communicating? And here's the thing. I know I'm tough on culture, but we live in a culture where people think it's okay to eat Tide Pods. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're, if you haven't heard about this, Google it. It's the weirdest thing. But the, the Tide Pod that you put in the washing machine. Look at this crowd participation tonight. Okay, put in the washing machine to wash clothes. People are like, I'm going to put this in my mouth. That's the culture you and I live in, all right? So we need to be a little careful as to what we see and what we take in. But here's the thing. We can be... Influenced by TV and by news. I mean, you pull on the news and there's like four panels of people arguing with each other, interrupting each other. My idea is better than yours. And and like, hey, I want to talk. No, you can't. And the the host is like, we got to go to commercial. And that's all we see. You know, we have shows where Nick Cannon makes fun of Chance the Rapper, which should never happen. I don't get it. And we have shows and TV and movies where it's like, Things are just nursed. We have a, love him or hate him, you have, we have a president that even swears and curses, right? And so this all sets precedence. Everything we see in the TV and media, which is just disgusting lately, it's just so much. And we can take that in. And then we take it to work. And then we take it to school. And then we take it to our families. Because we've been taught by culture that, hey, you wrong me, or I'm going to wrong you. And so I'm not going to respect you, and you're not going to respect me. And so, so it needs to be earned, and love needs to be earned. And all these things that we kind of absorb, we take it into our workplaces. We take it to our homes, and we have conflict. And so the problem here tonight is so often that if we look at our culture, we could be a culture found without honor. We look around us, we see there's really no respect for authority. No respect for our parents. No respect for the elderly. It's all about those young chickens, right? And then no respect really for each other. I see tonight what I want to do is I want to talk about honor and I want to talk about reestablishing a culture of honor. And maybe you heard me say that and you said, what, what, what does that even mean? Culture of honor. Because the idea of honor can be so far removed from our heads. You know, being a pastor and being a person at the same time is a tough thing. And trying to write a message like this, you, you kind of catch yourself like, wow, I'm driving on the road and that man cut me off and I was upset at him, you know? Or like all these different things or like I'm driving to today to go to the store and find a parking spot. I'm like, whatever, you could take my spot. And I was angry about it. And I realized, wow, there's so many days and things that I miss out on realizing, and this is important even for me too, So, honor, what is that? Let's kind of just go back to the definition. To esteem, value, revere, hold in high regard. Honoring those around you, respecting those who are older, your friends, family, authority, people you don't know. It means to esteem them, to, to revere them, to hold them in a high regard. If I were to walk into, or you were to walk into a preschool classroom, uh, assuming you're supposed to be there, um, and you would go to the wall and you'd kind of look at one of the crafts and you kind of take it down and you're holding it in your hand. And here's what I could tell you would happen if you started to make fun of this craft, if the parent was nearby. You're looking at the craft and you're saying, this is dumb. You know, the legs are coming out of the head. There's no neck. And you just start like ripping on this craft, right? And if the parents were there, 
you shouldn't be shocked if they're upset, right? Like, you shouldn't be upset if they got upset at you. Why? Because you're making fun of their daughter or their son. Because when you make fun of the creation, what happens? You're making fun of its creator. And see, likewise, God has created you. He's created me. He's created your parents, your coworkers, your enemies. And he's created those people in his own image. And so when you and I dishonor one another, we dishonor God. When we dishonor the creation, we're dishonoring the creator. And see, tonight this matters to God. In the Bible, there are over 200 verses in the NIV. All talking about honor. Seven out of the ten commandments have to deal with how you and I deal with one another. You know, don't kill each other. You know, don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't take your neighbor's wife. Or anyone's wife, for that matter, I'll add on. But most of the commands in the Bible talk to how we deal with one another. So tonight, I believe it's, it, it matters. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, or you're, you're new to the church scene, or you're checking out, whatever it may be, we're glad you're here, and I just want to say that maybe you've tried to find God, or you tried that you're trying to figure out how this works, and maybe people have gotten in the way. You know, be it from the media, or be it you know someone representing ill resentment, ill res, ill wow, not re- represent, not representing Christ well. Welcome back, <laughs> and it's hurt you. And we just want to say we're, we're sorry. That's that's not the intent at all. And so today, if, if you've had a problem with people or if people have treated you bad, I want to encourage you to just come on this journey here with us tonight and see that, hey, we're just trying to get this right too. And that, that all of us, where, wherever we are in our beliefs, we all need Jesus. And see, for all of us though, what is at stake is this, is that we all want answers from God. Our church's mantra right now is asking God to move in power. Doug felt that's what we should be praying for this year, and so that's what we've been doing. And one thing that will get in the way of that, if we're dishonoring one another, that means we're dishonoring God, which means if we're dishonoring God, why would we expect him to answer? See, our God is merciful. He could still do it. But I believe tonight that when we start taking how we deal with one another seriously or we take honor seriously, that it can make a huge impact. And when we're praying and we're asking him for for things and and we're asking for clarity, I think if we start with us respecting and honoring him, man, I wonder what he would do. Again, our God is merciful, but that is what's at stake here tonight. And so we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And before we do that, I just want to give some uh, background to this story, why, what's going on so we can understand how, as we dive into these scriptures, how it can really help us understand this concept of honor, and just kind of challenge where we're currently at. Um, so we're going to be again in 2 Samuel 9, and what is happening here is, before all that, there, Israel did not have a king. Ancient Israel did not have a king, and they said, look, we want a king. And God's like, no, if I give you a king, it's going to go bad. But they're like, no, 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 we want one. So God gave them a king. His name was Saul. It went bad. He was a terrible king. Um, eventually, God says, I am going to send a prophet to give you a new one. And so he sends Samuel, thus the book we're reading tonight, and Samuel goes and he anoints his guy David to be the next king. 
But of course that creates problems because the current king is still the king. And now you have this young boy who's about in his teens somewhere who is anointed to be king. So Saul tries to kill David. He hunts him. Saul, and, and to make matters more confusing, David is best friends with Saul's son. And Saul's son is loyal to David. And he says, look, I want you to be the next king. So he helps him. And so they look at each other during all of this madness of his dad, you know, Jonathan's dad, hunting David down. And they make a pact and they make a covenant. And they say, we're going to do well by each other. And what happens is as time goes on, Saul's ways catch up with himself. And he, and he is killed in battle. And unfortunately, so is Jonathan. And then David becomes king. His prayer is answered. He is able to get into the uh, castle, the kingdom, Jerusalem, takes it over. And then he's been king for a few years, and that's where we pick it up here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. So we need to think about this for a second. Because if we lived back in that day, this would look very strange. Because the current kings, what they would do is they would wipe out any successors that, that were possible of the old dynasty. And so if I'm Ziba, who is Saul's ser old servant, because Saul's gone now, and I, I was his servant, when the king is calling me into his courts, I should be worried. I'm like, oh man, I used to, I used to roll with, with Saul, and, and this is the new king, and my, the king I rolled with is dead. I'm next. And then David asks, is there anyone alive from Saul's family and I want to show kindness to them. So this must be really strange and really weird for this servant to hear. But we continue. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Emil. And so what we need to understand is this, is that Jonathan had a young son named Mahibosheth. Hard name to say, but that's his son. And during this battle where Saul was killed and Jonathan was killed, this child was obviously not fighting. It was with the maid. And as the maid was running away in fear, because now everything she's known, she doesn't have a kingdom to go back to because it's done. And she knows that. And so she's running, and she falls and drops Mahibosheth. And breaks both of his legs, feet, I mean, crippling him for life. And so, he has no, this kid has no family, this maid messed up, and now he is living with someone who's not even his relative, maker, son of Emil, in Lodabar. Lodabar was so far away from Jerusalem, it was almost like he was trying to hide from David and be forgotten about. And here's the thing. Let's put ourselves in David's shoes for a second. David was hunted for 15 years. He 
did right by every turn. He had an option to kill the king himself. He could have killed King Saul but there, at one point, but, but he let him go because David was that much of an honorable guy. And all of this hardship is going on for years and years, and finally, David is king. He's on the throne. He has the power. He's doing what he feels God is leading him to do. And the question could be asked, man, why is this my problem? Like, God answered, why are you seeking out your enemies? God freed you from your enemies. But David searches out his enemies to show them the kindness of God. And if we turn this on ourselves, when was the last time that you or me searched out our enemies, the people that were difficult to deal with, to show them the kindness of God? Sometimes it's easy to, you know, you see them coming in the hallway and you're like, okay, duck, and you duck into a different room, right? Or you kind of like see them getting up and you're like, I'll just wait here a couple seconds more. You know, it's easy to avoid, it's easy to ignore, it's easy to forget. And that, that's, what, that's what comes natural for you and I, but David seeks these people out. He seeks his enemies out. When I was younger, back in the middle school days, uh, I don't know why I'm drawing from this pool of time in my life, but it just seems like the theme tonight. Um, we were hanging out with our fr- uh, my friend Allie and my friend Matt, and my friend Allie was really tall and my friend Matt was short. And she really liked Matt. And what we really liked to do was make fun of her for that. So we would make fun of her. We were, again, we are little jerks. Okay, it was what it was. And anytime, like, we could make a joke, we would totally do it. And I remember one day she kind of turned and she looked at me and she said, you know, Andrew, I- I'm glad that you think that my feelings are such a joke. And it was almost like someone punched the little jerk out of me. Because I just flew back. and I, I mean, Not really, but I kind of stopped and I thought, I'm like, wow. Here, this girl has real feelings that I'm just completely obliterating, making fun of. You know, and I remember in that moment, I just looked at her, I'm like, I'm like oh, wow, I'm really sorry. Like, it just, you know when something clicks, it just clicked. And I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. And I start profusely apologizing, and she kind of looks at me like I was weird. I, remember, I just remember this. She looked at me like, she's like, no, it, dude, it's okay. And she like, blew it off. But I realized that in that moment, that she was just so used to us treating her bad that it just anything else didn't seem normal. You know, and I was at a conference once, and I once heard um, someone say this line, but before that, maybe you're thinking, Andrew, like, oh, yeah, you were joking. Like, like, give yourself a break. Like, like cut yourself some, some slack. Like, you were just joking. Like, you're just messing around. That's what friends do. But I heard this quote, and it's this. It's that Satan loves to sometimes make things a joke. And see, when you're on the receiving end of it, and, and I should have known that I was all my life growing up. I had friends that made fun of me all the time. Man, it's, it's not good. And you're saying, all right, Andrew, that seems like a tangent. Why are you telling this story? Like, why are we talking about this? Because here's what we need to consider. That before we consider how we treat our enemies, we need to consider how we treat one another. Because if we look through the grid of honor here tonight, that we would see that most of the time, be it our culture or even if we're just being really honest with ourselves, that we can treat our friends and our family and those closest to us like they're our enemies. We can make fun of them. We can disrespect them. 
We're self-centered. We make it about what's been done to us. What we aren't getting. What we want. And tonight, we've grown up in a culture that from birth, when we come out, it's like, like you're great. Like the, the word selfie was just, you know, a, became a word recently. I was watching a commercial before I came of the new iPhones talking about your selfie and how you're the greatest. I mean, so this is just drilled into our head. Again, I love Apple. I have an iPhone in my pocket, right? But we are just drilled into our head that we are the most special thing and everything revolves around us. That is my world and you guys are just living in it, right? That's what we're told. But could it be that's why we have conflicts with people? Why we have a rough time at home? Why we have a rough time at our, at our job? And the question I have is, if that's you here tonight, is this, it's, what are you giving? What are you giving? In those relationships, what are you giving? Are you giving kindness? Though it may be not deserved, are, are, you, are you showing kindness in any way? Are you lending an ear to listen, to try to understand where someone is coming from? Are you showing them honor? And maybe you're sitting here saying, well, Andrew, they don't deserve it. And maybe you're right. Maybe they don't. Let's just say they don't. But what we need to do is we need to take it a step further. Because here's the thing. Imagine if we took God at his word. When he says, love each other, honor one another. If we took him at his word, what our relationships would look like, what our families would look like, what our job environment would feel like if we were those people regardless. Because here's what we need to take into consideration. When there's a cycle of dishonor, somebody needs to break it. You know, a lot of times we don't give respect or we don't give honor to someone because of how they treat us, right? Or, or they don't deserve it. We're kind of like, yeah, you don't deserve it. But see, when there's a cycle of dishonor, someone has to kind of step up to the plate and break it. Richard Crisco said this. It's an awesome quote. Um, if you have notes, take it down. But it'll be up on the screen in two seconds. Here it goes. He says, we don't honor people because they deserve honor. We honor people because we are honorable people. I'm just going to read that again. We don't honor people because they deserve honor. We honor people because we are honorable people. Tonight, the integrity of who God calls you to be should never be challenged by someone else's actions. And yet we live in a world that's like, well, what I do is dependent on what they do. And, and here's what we also need to realize. Because when we honor someone, we're not honoring their terrible behavior. We can fundamentally disagree with someone. They could be on the other side of an argument, but we can still honor them as a human being. It's a common respect that they're loved and they're created in the image of God. And here's the thing. This is not a message for us to just kind of walk in the line of fire. This is not a message for us to kind of put ourselves in a, in a silly scenario. Okay, like, um, no one, like God's not telling us to throw our wisdom out the window and eat Tide Pods, all right? He's not telling us to do something that is as foolish. We need to have wisdom. But for most of us, God is calling us to extra mile living. Ever hear 
You know, someone asks you to go a mile with them and carry their stuff, right? The biblical idea is, no, 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 you go with them more than one, you go with them two, it's that extra mile, right? Because our culture says, well, they don't deserve it, don't give it. But our God, our God loved his enemies. Our God showed, my, my God showed me grace. I don't deserve it. But he gave it to me. And likewise, so should we. And so as we kind of tune back into the story, we have David who's searching out his enemies. He's trying to honor them. Wow. Challenging. But we go back into the story in verse 5. And so David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. So Maker, remember, that's a rich dude. All right, he lives far away in Lodabar. And, and he raised Mahabalshev. And, and just remember that, guy named, that guy's name, because he's going to be important for later. But, he, but David sent for, sent for him, brought him out of Maker's home, verse 6. His name was Mahabalshev, Seth. Um, he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mahabalshev. Mahabalshev replied, I am your servant. Now just think about if you're Mahabalshev right now. You have walked, you can't even walk because he's crippled. He comes in to this scenario and he bows low. He's probably thinking, this is the last time I'm going to live. Like, I am in the presence of my enemy. Historically, I will be wiped out. I could just see him sitting there, bowing, but just wondering what will come next, expecting death. And this is what happens in verse 7. Don't. Be afraid, David said. David's reassuring him, hey, I'm here to not give you ill intent. I'm here to give you love. He continues in verse 7. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. And look what he does. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Wow. Imagine you're standing in the throne room. You're just, maybe you're just a, a guard to the side or you're someone who holds the door open and you're just listening in on this conversation. The fact that he grabs one of the descendants of the old king and says, I'm going to give you an inheritance and you're going to sit with me at the table. That was a huge honor. I can imagine they're like, oh, that's cool. They're giving him stuff. Whoa, he's going to sit at the table? Because this was unheard of. This is counter-cultural. But this is what the people of God do. And this is what we're learning from here tonight. See, when we honor people, we call forth their potential. When we honor people, we call forth their potential. And we give them a chance to rise above where they currently are. How many of us are successful now because someone way back then Gave us a chance. And that's what David's doing. And so in verse 8, his response is, is heartbreaking. Mahibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Wow. Let I me mean, just think about it. All this kid knew was faded glory. All he knew was that in his own culture, because he was crippled, that he was worthless. And he 
compares himself to a dead dog. And he's just sitting there saying, why would you show this? Like he wasn't expecting it. And he's living in that definition of what his culture has said that he is. He's saying, why would you show this to me? And he comes before the king expecting death. And yet he was given mercy. He was given kindness. He was given love. Provision. Tonight, I don't know how you walked in here. I don't know if you feel worthy or you feel unworthy. Maybe you're just like Mahabashef and you feel, man, I am worthless. I got nothing to offer. I mess up. You know, God's not going to love me. God's not going to care for me. But the beautiful thing here is if this is a picture. Like what happened in this historical text is so symbolic of if you and I were before the throne. If you and I became before God, we would be so aware, not of what we've done well, but of what we've messed up on. Man, I would be like, man, I messed up my words so much in that message. Man, I hurt these people when I was younger. I said this thing. I'm selfish. I did this. I I was mean to my wife, and all these things would come to my heart when I'm standing in front of the King of Kings because he's perfect and holy. And it just naturally, I would start to feel these things. And so I would expect death. You would expect death before our God. But yet, he gives us mercy. He sent Christ to die on our behalf for all of those sins. And he clothes us in love and in mercy tonight. Through Christ that you and I, we've been pardoned. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter what, what we do right or wrong. It matters, hey, are we going to the source? And that is Christ. He who has, we who were dishonorable, God makes honorable. And tonight, if you're just kind of checking into faith, you're trying to figure it out, that's an offer for you too. That our God looks at us in mercy and says, look, you may, whatever you may believe about yourself, It's about what I do for you, and I want to show you kindness, and I want to invite you. And so we have a God that picks us up, gives us that chance, breathes life into us, and we're seeing it so symbolically in this story. So, Mahabosheth responds, and then verse 9 says this, Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that has belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And then he continues to tell Ziba that, hey, you're going to get this huge plot of land. And this is Saul's land. This is not like, oh, we'll give him like four acres. This was a lot of land. And he's like puts this guy in charge of it and says, All that you cultivate, all that the land yields will go to Mahabosheth. But... Mahabashef will live in Jerusalem and eat at my table. And in verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so your servant will do. So Mahabashef, check this out, it's amazing. Ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mahabashef had a young son whose name was Mika. All who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mahabashef. 
Mahabashef lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Let's just break this down. What a beautiful picture. He, who was poor, was instantly made rich. He, who was not a son, was treated like he was a son. And the verse kind of ends weird. It just, it just goes, now he was lame in both feet. And commentators kind of believe it's just reminding us that, of this truth that in order to sit at the king, king's table, that he needed to be carried and put there. Leland, a couple of years ago, wrote a song called Carried to the Table. It's an amazing song. But in that song, they, just t- they talk about He was carried to the table and seated where he did not belong. Man, that's the story of you and me. It's the story of our God seeing us that we're unable, nothing good in of ourselves, but he's lifted us up and he's placed us in a place we don't belong, but he's given us the honor and the glory that we don't deserve, but we've been given it. And so we should do the same. See, when we honor, when we choose to honor someone who doesn't deserve it, that changes their life. When we honor someone who doesn't deserve it, when someone, when Doug years ago gave me a shot, I didn't deserve to be honored. It was a good getaway kid, but hey, gave me a shot. It could change your life. And when we honor people, we become that vessel that God uses to work in people's lives around us. And so what I want us to grab here tonight is this, is that when we honor people, we honor God. When we honor God, God honors us. So when we honor people, we're honoring God. And in turn, then God honors us. And maybe you're saying, all right, Andrew, this is tough because how am I blessed? Like, maybe there, there's some people that are, that are tough to love in your life right now. And again, there's some situations that need a lot of wisdom. But again, it comes back to maybe not so much what we get out of our relationships, but what God calls us to do. And see, when we're obedient to God, it always works out. Because here's, the, here's what I know about this story of David, that it doesn't finish there. He continues to be a king. And I want you to picture Mahibosheth sitting at that table as one of the king's sons, but guess what? Also with the king's sons. And Absalom and some of the other uh, sons that David had were sitting at the same table. And one and that son, Absalom, who was David's real son, would eventually lead a group of men to push David out of the kingdom. And David would be forced to run for his life and hide in the wilderness once again. But guess who takes him in? That guy, Maker, son of Emil. The one who raised Mahibosheth from birth. And commentators speculate and they say, perhaps because of the kindness that King David showed Mahibosheth is the whole reason why this guy took him in. And eventually David gets his kingdom back. Because God chose to honor I'm sorry, he chose to honor God, and God honored him. 
Because the principle is true that when we honor people, we honor God. And when we honor God, God honors us. And I hope if you're checking out faith or you're, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian here tonight, that, that you would see that our God is, is one who loves. Our God is, is one who says, look, you don't need to earn my affection. I've given it to you. I hope that you see that we have a God of mercy here tonight that's not looking to crush you, that's not looking to say you're not good enough, but he's looking to pick you up. Say, I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you feel unable. I'm going to make you able. I don't care if you would consider yourself someone who's dishonorable. I want to make you honorable. We serve a God that carries us to a table and seats us where we don't belong. And so as we kind of land the plane here, kind of think back to everything we've talked about. Do you consider yourself an honorable person? And if not, something needs to change tonight. And I believe when it does, you'll see transformation all around you. And maybe you're sitting here, all right, Andrew, this is cool, honor, honor, honor. We've been talking a lot about it. I just want to leave us with some practical ways how this could look in our life. Just kind of just fire hose some lists out to us and if anything sticks, let it stick. But some practical ways are call people by name. I'm terrible with names. I try to work on names all the time. It's something I'm actively working on. Tonight, call people by, excuse me, call people by their name. Ask people about themselves. So many times it's easy for me to talk about me or it's easy for you to talk about you. But ask people about where they're at, how they're doing, what's going on. Not, not just, how you doing? Good. All right. Because you know, that's a lot of times, that's the false facade. There's something more. There's something deeper. This one's big for us, those of us younger here. It's put down your phone. When you're with people, be with people. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're all hanging out and there's a lull in the conversation then everyone starts going, start going through. Like what if we just kind of put it off to the side and we were actually with the people that we were with? Look people in the eye when you talk to them. Don't interrupt people when they're talking. You know, so many times we can almost like someone starts telling a story and then it reminds us of our cooler story, you know what I mean? Like, like here's the thing, if like Gio is like a professional, like, no, hold on, I said that backwards. G- I'm just sorry I pick on you, bro. It's kind of, you're in the front here. But if Gio's telling me about the time he went snowboarding and I'm a professional snowboarder and we're in, talking in a group of friends, like, let Gio tell his story. We don't need to hear about how my story's better, you know what I'm saying? We do, I, do, I used to do this all the time until I heard this concept and I felt bad because I realized, wow, I do it a lot. Where I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this time. But what if we stop doing that? It's just a simple way of just letting someone kind of have the spotlight and not putting ourselves in it. You know, guys, if a girl is within walking distance of a door, you need to sprint there and open it first, man. No lady should have to open a door. And maybe that might help your date problem. But we can talk about that later if you want. But it's just simply... Being courteous to people. Honoring them because they're a child of God. Though they may not act like one or smell like one or talk like one, love them. Honor them. That's what God calls us to do. And we don't honor people because they deserve it. We honor people because God has made us honorable. That's who he's created us to be. And so we got to walk in that and we got to live in that. And so tonight, if you want to see God move in power, just one way I could think of that will get us is to see more of that 
is just when we honor each other, man, God's, God's going to do some awesome things in this place. None of us are perfect. You know, I'm certainly not. But as we work on this together, I think we're going to see some awesome things happen in this church, in our families, in our friendships, at our schools. Because when we honor people, we honor God. And when we honor God, God honors us. Let's pray here tonight. God, no doubt we need your help. We live in a world, Jesus, that is just so set on making it all about ourselves. And what we see and what we hear in the media, I pray that we could separate entertainment from real life. I pray, God, tonight as we kind of look at our actions that we can really be challenged to love people like you've loved them. To be wise with that. And God, we just thank you tonight that, that we don't have to worry about doing it perfectly, but we can come to you and you will empower us. And so God, we just want to see you do more in our families and in our churches and our jobs at our schools. God, we want to see you do the impossible. And I pray that you would work in every struggling relationship here. I pray that you would be with those of us who just feel like we have nothing to offer, feel like that there's no hope. God, I pray that we would see that, that you are the one who fills us with honor and give us abilities and you carry us to a table where we don't belong and you've seated us there. And you're proud and you love us. And I pray that we would walk with a new confidence here tonight, God. And then in that, that you would develop how we live and how we breathe and how we act towards one another. And we just thank you, God, that you are powerful and that your love covers our sin and we don't need to live in that here tonight. So we just invite you to do great things. And we thank you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus here tonight. Amen.